Thanks for joining us again on the Comic Syllabus Podcast, where we read widely and we dig deep in the world of graphic novels and comic books. Today, um, guest co-host Johnny Hall comes on to talk to me about Pittsburgh by Frank Santoro from New York Review Comics, um, which came out in 2018. We talk about this um, masterful work by Frank Santoro. Um, it's really a powerful piece of um, graphic novel art. And uh, before that, though, Johnny and I have a little bit of a discussion about the um, departed um, all too soon Tom Spurgeon, um, a giant in the comics uh, scene, the comics community, the comics world, um, as a journalist, as a, a, a critic, as a writer, um, as a historian, um, as a chronicler of comics, uh, you know, the, the, the community, the art. Um, so we remember Tom Spurgeon, and then uh, we talk about Pittsburgh and Frank Santoro. Um, after that, after a break, um, while into the podcast, and I'll put timestamps in the show notes, uh, Johnny and I get into a reread that he recently did of Planetary, the uh, Warren Ellis and John Cassidy series from around the late 90s. Uh, and then we talk about Dawn of X and um, the, the new X-Men comics. Uh, so a little wide-ranging chat um, centered on the review of Pittsburgh. Um, multiversitycomics.com is where this podcast lives, um, and it's also where um, you can find news and reviews and interviews, all kinds of insightful pieces. We talk about comics. We talk about the industry. We talk about, um, as the end of the year approaches, the best comics of the year and the best artists and best writers to look out for that year-end stuff. Uh, lots of great content. Um, also, a, a wide range of networks covering everything from Star Wars to Watchmen, the TV show, to uh, Marvel Comics, to uh, you know, great interviews with creators and stuff like that. So, you know, check out all the other great podcasts. That's the issue. Um, uh, uh, Brian and Zach watch the Watchmen. All those great uh, podcasts on the Multiversity Network of podcasts, as well as all of the great content at multiversitycomics.com. Um, so yeah, let's get into this conversation and, um, just a note, apologies for a little bit of the sound quality, still trying to work out the best way to record conversations that Gianna and I have. We're going to figure that out and uh, make sure we get top notch sound. In the meanwhile, uh, unfortunately the way that this recording worked, some of my lines are, uh, and my laughing, I walk over Johnny's, uh, insightful comments. So sorry about that, Johnny. Um, meanwhile, I think there's still a lot to enjoy. So thanks for joining us. Here we go. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Hey, Johnny. How's it going? Going great. Good to be back. It's good to see you. Uh, and good to hear your voice, your um, mellifluous baritone on the <laughs> comic <laughs> syllabus again. <laughs> we get to see each other because we're on a Zoom call, but uh, <clears throat> I guess listeners are just getting our, our, our 
dulcet tones. Um, Johnny, it's, uh, it's been a, a little while, but I still have this almost dreamlike memory of going to Columbus and hanging out with you at CXC. That was a really good time. And so um, it's nice to reconnect. We're going to talk about one of the books that, you know, actually both you and I picked up out there with Frank Santoro. Um, but uh, yeah, how, how have you been before we launch into it? You know, we, we got a little glimpse uh, into each other's lives when we hung out a little bit, but I'm just, you know, wondering and, and, and everybody I'm sure is, how's Johnny doing? Sure. I'm doing great. Uh, fall uh, been a little too short. Winter has mm. come too quickly to the Midwest, mm. but uh, otherwise I'm doing okay. Uh, mm. The world is a crazy place to be uh, living in right now. So Indeed. Uh, comics are a, a nice respite, yes. uh, you know, uh, from, from the wearisome uh, <laughs> world these days. But, yes, yes, yeah, indeed. Doing all right, though. Yeah. And you? I'm also wearisome. <laughs> and also finding a respite in comics. You know, it's funny to read comics and be like, you know, to read like um, X-Men and just be like, this is insane happenings. And then like, mm -hmm. oh, let me switch over to the news. Impeachment hearings, you know, and like revolution and like, uh, you know, wildfires out here in California. And just to say, you know, just the feeling of um, how insane things are. Um, and yet, you know, to connect in a human level and, and to connect with, with stuff we can read is, is, is still there for us, still there to help us to make sense of it all. So, um, sure. yes. They call so, the paper for a reason, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and um, speaking of CXC, you and I were exchanging messages earlier this week because we, the comics world found out. Actually, I found out because you sent me that message and then I said, uh-oh. Um, we found out that we lost Tom Spurgeon, who um, I remember from just reading stuff in, uh, yeah, I guess it was, I mean, it was the comics reporter, which, you mm -hmm. know, he was known as and, and put out, but I think it was a lot of his writing um, for and, and about fanographic stuff. And, and just to, you know, when you start to see the name of somebody who writes in a way uh, about things you care about that makes you um, think deeper, like somebody who says the things you wanted to say, but better than you could have said it, uh, learns the things and asks the questions you wanted to ask, um, uh, but actually got to ask the right people. <laughs> and um, yeah, so uh, uh, what, what was your relationship uh, with uh, Tom Spurgeon's work? And, and uh, I started reading the Comics Journal when he was editor. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, you know, I started, his name came on my radar at that time. Yeah. And I've been a fan of his, uh, ever since his viewpoint, he, um, there's a, you know, the, in almost in the movie, almost famous, mm -hmm. the, they, uh, there's a line where Lester Bangs is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman says, you need mm -hmm. to be honest and unmerciful. Huh. And I, I felt uh, Spurgeon really uh, embodied that philosophy when he was dealing with, when he was talking about comics, you know, yeah. he knew uh, that uh, the best way to report about comics is to be honest uh -huh. uh, yeah. with, with the industry, yeah. with the books, the art itself, yeah. and, and even with himself and his position. Yeah. Um, just that sort of integrity. Yeah is lacking even today in comics journalism. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just the fearlessness with 
you know, because I'm, you know, he wasn't making a ton of money doing right. this. Right. Uh, no comics journalist does. <laughs> and so right. we, you know, we have a tendency to want to ingratiate ourselves to the work, and we want to yeah. build these works up. But he had no problem saying, you know, when a work was bad or when an yeah. industry was performing poorly or treating yeah. artists and writers poorly. Sure. Um, so I just, there's just a tremendous amount of respect and, that I have for him. And I think the yeah. industry as a whole yeah. uh, had for him. And uh, it's such a, such a profound uh, loss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that one thing that um, struck me when the news broke was just looking at social media and the variety of people who were mourning his loss and who had these you know, stories or just a brief, you know, mention, but of, of how significant um, Spurgeon was to them in their work, um, be they journalists uh, or, or be they creators or publishers or whatever. So I think that the, um, the respect was there. And I think that's a hard respect to earn, honestly. To, yeah, and absolutely. It speaks to the relationship as you were talking about this really weird relationship. Not weird. I think it's, it's like um, not unprecedented in the arts, I guess, but the, between the, the critical community of comics and, and, the, and the community of creators. Um, but I think he plays many trails, you know, um, as, um, as somebody who did that. And I remember even when he, I can't remember where it was exactly, maybe it was Patreon or Kicks. I think he was a Patreon. He basically, um, for his work. And I, and I remember trying to decide like, huh, so I, I support some creators on Patreon do I want to support a critic? You know, like, is that, right. is that, and then I, I thought about the value of what I had gained from reading his work. And I thought, of course, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> At one point, my, my Patreon even tipped to be supporting more create, uh, more sort of like critics oh, nice. and analysts yeah. and commentators of comics than, than creators. And then I, I think about that a little bit too, but um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, yeah, the, the, he had also, uh, an ability to um, appreciate, you know, he was not just sort of like sla sla uh, lavishing praise without. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but but I think he had ability to appreciate and respect like what was worthwhile, what would stick around, um, what was, and even what was, I think, very um, uh, like redeeming about comics. And um, I remember just the way that he would um, write about events and festivals and, and things yeah. like keeping it very, very human, like keeping it very much about like, you know, not, not depersonalizing the fact that this is human beings and their art yeah. and, and their stories that are, that we're involved in here. Um, so I really appreciated that about him. Yeah. His um, comics as capital C community, mm -hmm. I think was his, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you really felt that uh, through his words yeah. And his advocacy for for uh, the artists that he uh, uh, spoke highly of, and yeah. and yeah. even the the ones that he uh, maybe not spoke <laughs> yeah. so highly of, yeah. they were still yeah. part of the community. And yeah, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful human. I yeah. I got to sit in on a couple panels with him, yeah. and he was always so tremendously uh, well spoken. Mm -hmm. and uh cut right to the heart of the matter you know he just he just had a, a wonderful way with words uh, hmm. truly missed yeah yeah, yeah.
Um, it, it also leaves me thinking a little bit about, um, you know, a legacy that's left, you know, to the rest yeah. of us nerds. Uh, what, if, <laughs> what do we do with an example of somebody who engaged with the medium the way that, that he did and, and the culture the way that he did? And, and how do we um, let ourselves get better by the memory of, of yeah. his work, by the sort of mark left by his work? So. Um, yeah, so I, that's probably at least a, a part of the reason why we're talking to each other today is sure. to do, do some um, thinking and mining of the wealth of, um, of comics together. Um, so uh, maybe in memory of, of Tom Spurgeon today. Sure, let's dig in. Yeah. Um, the other, I, so we have CXC memories of, of um, Tom Spurgeon. We also have CXC memories of um, having sat in a, at a in a panel together and having seen Frank, Frank Santoro, along with Kevin Heisinger, they were in conversation with each other. And last time you were on uh, comic syllabus with me, we talked about um, Ganges and uh, now we're turning our attention to Santoro's Pittsburgh, which came out um, last year from New York review comics. And um, I, I, um, I didn't know, I, I think I'm, I'm glad we talked about Ganges first. I had a lot of history with Ganges, sure. um, but Santoro, I had only heard of, you know, seen his name here and there. And then of course, um, Greg and Mike from Robots from Tomorrow talked about seeing him in SBX. And um, I think when I bought Pittsburgh, I was like, this is gonna be good, but I feel like I need to save this for a day when I'm sort of ready to engage with something unfamiliar a little bit. And, yeah. And, and, and sort of let it, um, you know, uh, let it, let it wash over me. And, and, um, and so I did, I, I sort of read the first few pages and then uh, not until you and I were corresponding about it, actually, did I really give it the full read, um, and really come to fall in love with it, um, to really enjoy the work. Um, what was your sort of first, uh, impressions of Pittsburgh and, and of Santoro? Um, I'm, not as familiar with Santoro's work as I'd like to have been uh, going into it. I think he's, uh, from reading uh, Pittsburgh, it's, yeah. it's a fantastic read. So I'm a little, I'm a little sad that, that I wasn't familiar with this stuff before, but, uh, <laughs> we got time. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a 200 some page book. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tome. Yep, so I didn't uh, grab it right away. I wanted to finish all the mini comics that I got at CXC yeah. know, first. Kind of had a big pile of those. Yeah. So yeah, it wasn't until two or three weeks ago that I finally picked it up on a, you know, a lazy Sunday. And, um, and yeah, I was just uh, one over uh, mm -hmm. those two in Maybe it was, maybe uh, hearing those two in conversation had something to do with, with um, my reaction to the work. Mm, mm. Uh, knowing kind of knowing a little bit about what to expect but yeah. it still uh still uh met those expectations and exceeded them i think yeah 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 i um i just he was so smart you know he's just like <laughs> he could philosophize but not stumping at all you know he was just very it, like uh they both spoke really plainly uh yeah. but in a way that was still you know uh profound yeah 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 he had he had sort of a a pittsburgh philosopher mm -hmm. <laughs> vibe about him um you know sort of really thoughtful artist kind of kind of um vibe and 
you know, we got to meet him a little bit and talk uh, briefly. And I, one thing I thought was really interesting is just that he, he talks about being published by New York Review Comics and that um, their, uh, you know, recent and standout publisher for those of us in the whatever alt comics, literary comics sure. world. And, but their, um, their output is so, um, so many people who are no longer alive or American, right. you know, and so, uh, you know, I've read probably five or six of, of their books in the last few years. And they always have that same feeling that I mentioned earlier of like, wow, this is really interesting. And I can't read this right now. Let me go read some like <laughs> Superman. And then right, like right. when I have a, a clear afternoon um, <clears throat> and so they're always interesting work, always take yeah. a little bit of like, orienting you know and figuring out what's going on here um and so he was mentioning that he is they're unused to setting up a tour with an author who's actually available alive in this country for for such a tour so so that that was an adjustment but um i i thought as i read this um it's like the criterion collection i don't know if you watch oh yeah movies but you know you'll, you'll get you'll see all these things that are like from a time and a place that is not where you grew up and then all of a sudden like one of the movies from your childhood that you know you saw randomly one weekend and you're like oh yeah that was good it's sort of like something close to home popped up in this collection that's what it feels like a little bit to see pittsburgh yeah i mean uh it it sort of sort of came at me sideways you Mm -hmm. know um the the history of the book itself is a little strange too i mean this is I mean, Pittsburgh is a very American city, uh, yeah. unique, uh, a very unique, even for American standards, yeah. a pretty unique city. Yeah. Uh, at one time, it was like one of the richest cities in the world, if not yeah. the richest. Right. Um, but it was the the book itself was published in France first, right. and then got you know uh, published again here in, in America. So yeah. I, I I found that odd that it. <laughs> A very American book and a very American story, I think, sure. uh, as it deals with, um, you know, uh, divorce and yeah. blue collar town and, yeah. and a Vietnam veteran. Yeah. Uh, I found it uh, strange that it, it found, uh, found its way to France first and, and very, it was very popular over there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, found a lot of success, which is yeah. great here. It's almost, it has that feeling like, uh, you know, Elliot and Fitzgerald and all those, and Hemingway and all those expats yeah, yeah. who, uh, <laughs> you know, like the yeah. great American novel was written at a cafe in France somewhere right, because right. that's where uh, it can be. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's got, it finds a home, like we're too busy watching football out here to, <laughs> right. you know, right. to pay any attention to that. Uh, yeah, there was a review. I <clears throat> I actually heard Frank, Frank Santoro say <clears throat> that there was a comic uh, bookshop in France mm-hmm. that taglined or used it as the uh, uh, selling line was that mm-hmm. uh, it was the the best uh, Bruce Springsteen song <laughs> you can imagine in book form, <laughs> and I really thought you know that's that's perfect. That's very that's perfect. really well put. That's really well put. I think one thing Springsteenian about it <laughs> is that what the scholars say it is um, <laughs> right, right is that, you know, it's titled Pittsburgh, you know, one might unknowingly expect that it's sort of a history of the, the town or, you know, something like that. Right. But it's, it's a very, you know, rather than a, a sort of objective, um, you know, history or something like that, or, or a picture of the whole town, it's a very subjective story of, 
of Frank Santoro's parents and his relationship mm-hmm. with his parents who are now divorced, who, as he points out, you know, work at the same hospital and so yeah. pass by each other, but never speak to each other. Um, and what it's like, what it was like for him growing up, what it's like to, for him to have those relationships as well as a few other in, in his orbit now. Um, and, and, and sort of the unearthing a little bit the past and jumping around in time. And so it is very much like Frank Santoro's Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh writ large, and yet is so specific to the place, the, the, you know, the vibe, the sort of like um, emotional feeling. And then of course, like the depictions of the city in, in his really uh, unique art, art form, art style that are so clearly distinctively a place in Pittsburgh. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like a subjective slice that, you could not say is more or less, you know, Pittsburgh than anyone else. Who's, right. Who's, it, it, it gets very specific to talk about the, the generalities, not only of just Pittsburgh, yeah. but of, of America at large, especially yep. these blue collar towns that are, yeah. that are one time very much thriving. And then, yeah. yeah. And you, you know, you mentioned the, the hospital and yeah. I, I felt it really telling and it was, it was a great little line. It said mm. they both work at the same hospital and below that it said the new factory. Which, mm. So it was like, you know, it was like this hospital was now like the big, yeah. um, employment, employer, yeah, uh, yeah. place in this part of the city or, yeah. or the city. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, uh, in really subtle ways, um, yeah. uh, I doubt Frank Santoro would call himself a poet, but, right. uh, I, I definitely think there's a lot of poetry in his very minimal words. Yeah. Uh, I believe that has a lot to do with him you know, it being a French publication first, you wouldn't want to be too wordy <laughs> because mm-hmm. doing the, you know, the translations would, would mm-hmm. take, be very time consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, sparse and really specific details yeah. are, are the key to this, to this book yeah. to accompany the just tremendous art. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of the, the beautiful, uh, there are, I don't know, several different scenes. Yeah. Car rides throughout Pittsburgh. Or yeah, Seattle. car rides, yeah. And just just tremendous um, placement. Like, <laughs> it feels very Pittsburghian. You know, these yeah. hills uh, with the with the rivers, uh, you know, pinning it in. Just, yeah. just tremendous. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's interesting because so the, the style is, um, is unique. It's uh, a lot of marker, a lot of like color pencil um, and a lot of paste up stuff. You know, you can see yeah. places cut out and taped in. Uh, one, one moment that's really funny is there's a scene in the living room and I think um, Pretzel the dog is sleeping and it's like he's cut out this tiny little um, sawing logs, sawing you know, logs. symbol that's, yeah. that's showing Pretzel is sleeping and it's like pasted yeah. right on there. And, uh, and so there's all these creative ways that uh, he uses you know, his media, sort of the tools that he's using. But I think most specifically, I mean, you can, and you can see it from the cover. I was just fascinated by the use of marker, you know, because yeah. uh, as a dad and as a teacher, <laughs> markers are all over the place in my life, very right. rarely in comics. And so it's an aesthetic that I think um, has, a, has a way of both channeling like childhood, which I think since there's so much of this is memory, it mm. sort of, um, you know, uh, calls that forth, but also ar- architecture and design. Um, and, you know, Santoro is 
I think in many ways the the buildings and the setting is as much a character as much alive and it's, you know you'll see scenes where it almost alternates in one page where you can tell like the finer line work is devoted to a person's face because she's trying, she's trying to capture his grandmother mm-hmm. at that moment and then in the very next page that delicate line work is devoted to the bricks of a certain building you know and so yeah, it's yeah. like that that the place um steps into the foreground as that which we need to see really specifically but but that's surrounded by the marker <laughs> you know and and sort of like this this uh, other media which really just reeks to me of of memory you know of like this um yeah this uh recall of where you lived where you grew up how those overlapping layers lived there yeah yeah i I had seen Santoro and maybe he mentioned this in the, in the panel that we read Yeah, that comics have a, what he calls, he called it a stained glass technique where there's yeah. a black line around everything. Yeah. And he wanted to avoid that with this specifically because yeah. it felt like um, the markers uh, evoked more of a sense of, of, of memory and like mm-hmm. the, the bleeding of, of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the book is super, uh, well, I mean, the, just the um, the format of the book itself, mm. to me, I don't know if, if you felt the w- this way when you were reading it, but mm. it feels like you're, um, you're reading, you're flipping through a photo album, mm-hmm. like somebody's old photo album. Yeah. And so many photos just, it's almost like reading a photo album with, like someone else's photo album with context. Like yes. you have yeah. context behind all these just sometimes random pictures, like there's yeah. a very close up of a water fountain, like a little chintzy little, I say chintzy. uh, (laughs) It's something my grandmother had in her house. It was Uh just like a a weird water fountain in the house. There's like a close up of like the the Virgin Mary water fountain in his grandmother's house. Yeah. It's a whole page splash. That'd be something that you would see in like your grandmother's old photo album because she wanted to take a photo of, you know, for some strange reason. Yeah. It it felt that way. Yeah. throughout yep. the entire book and it was just it was wonderful and i think even some of the pages he scanned in the original art on on the boards so you can uh-huh. kind of catch the the board itself behind it right and right. a lot of those pages the way the the paper kind of crinkles <clears throat> right it, it has the feeling of that um you know the the plastic that would go over the photo albums themselves yeah. Yeah. so um i found that really um fascinating yeah a, a yeah. neat way to put put a book together yeah and it, and it does add to that that sense of uh uh again of a, a, a shared memories yeah 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 it's like you're saying uh, you know i'm thinking now about how he does that to evoke that feeling that you know the context you know like you mm-hmm. said when you're sitting in the living room with somebody who for whatever reason you have some context and then meanwhile as you're flipping through the album they're narrating these little pieces of whatever yeah. comes to mind for them plus you know x y and z about them and mm-hmm. so all of that sort of feels like it's informing your piecing together of a story, which I think yeah. this very much feels like, you know, the time jumps and so on is a sense of piecing together. And I think um, part of, I think how the art does that is there's a certain, as you as you were pointing out, a certain kind of like translucency or transparency, like the market yeah. itself, the sense of it being pasted, um, that it feels also layered almost like ghosts on a scene you know or like to to go back to uh, um, the neighborhood you grew up in and to see 
in one shot sort of how it looks now and also how it looked back then and like right. the the ghost memory of something that happened there. Um, yeah, he plays with that by um, sometimes doing really detailed work as far yeah. as Mark can be, but yeah. then sometimes just doing just outlines or or multiple um, uh, like layers of a vision on the yeah. same uh, image. Yeah, that yeah. really does feel like like ghosts. And, yes, and, and not in the creepy kind of way, but just like right. in the in this in the sense memory kind of way. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's um, a, a mode that feels like memory in childhood. It also feels though again, specific to Pittsburgh, specific to the post-industrial town. And sure. And, um, I mean, I think something interesting for, for me, I, <laughs> I wondered how much we, we, you and I would wind up talking about this is that the other place in this, in, in the background is always California. Um, you know, me being in California and you being mm-hmm. closer to um, the Midwest over there. Um, because California is sort of where at the beginning, um, when his mom is a teenager, she's sort of like threatened to be sent, you know, and California is where, where Frank Santoro ultimately moves for a period of time. And Mm -hmm. he's a, he's living in California, living in San Francisco and contemplating in many of the discussions with, with his folks back home, you know, moving back to Pittsburgh, which, you know, ultimately does. So. California as sort of the specter of, or the horizon or the, you know, whatever the, the sure. distant star of a, of a different world. Um, and to think about that culturally and economically and so on. And a lot of um, quotes and people quoting people about how, you know, you're famous if when you're from Pittsburgh because you've left Pittsburgh and made right, right, right. yourself and stuff. So, yeah. And he mentions, you know, that the, the town that, you, you know, that town, it was, it was a good thing if you got out and yeah. you know, and California was that, like you said, that distant star, that, right. that, that place of, of promise. And mm-hmm. yet, you know, he doesn't feel bad about the prospect of coming back though. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a certain warmth and, and longing really because he believes that, you know, ultimately his dream mm-hmm. uh, is to see his parents back together mm-hmm. in just, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we've mentioned that, you know, his parents work at the same hospital and they don't even talk yeah. to each other. And, yeah, yeah. and, um, so just to have them in the same room and talking, yeah, you know, and yeah. the thought of that is, is worth more than anything that California can promise. Right. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, and, it's a beautiful book. The, um, you know, he cites, Matisse as being a, an influence mm. and you can really see that, you know, the, the post-impressionists, huh. lots of colors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just beautiful, vibrant, you know, kind of off kilter colors. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I do love the, the times that he kind of says um, like uh, they're riding in a bus and the bus is lit yellow mm. and it even points out like, you know, that it's the, the, the glow of the hot sun in the room you know he actually writes that in there just yeah I felt that that was I don't know, just beautiful yeah yeah i mean that that was an instance the um that glow of the sun where he does use i think what could be uh, what is a lot of color pencil in certain places like there's mm-hmm. these landscapes i'm looking at where you know the problem with drawing with marker is <laughs> again i know from like trying yeah, to draw yeah. things with my kid it's all so loud you know, mm-hmm. like nothing can fade into subtlety. 
And so it's so, it becomes really meaningful, his choices of where I'll draw with marker. So like I said, I'm looking at a landscape right now. There's like a um, railroad track running through. This is, um, my mom is back down Del Mar Way, right? Some oh, yeah. houses on a hill, there's a little bit of a, a canyon or something like that and, and railroad tracks running through. And so is, this is really subtle, almost highlighter purple marker. That's, yeah. you know, um, and then like sort of a highlighter yellow or maybe that's colored pencil right there. But it's sort of like he has to back off from the eclectic mix of marker. But then there's these other pages that are like, I'm now at the one where uh, these don't have page numbers, which is driving me crazy. But <laughs> the one where um, he is seeing his um, dad as his dad was writing, he caught his dad writing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, his dad is, was writing about Vietnam. And it's like that very sharp set of memories and he says well what you write? what are you writing about can i read it and he's like right no maybe maybe right. when you're older and um and so can you help me record my spider-man i want to talk to you about recording spider-man because i think that's a funny <laughs> it's a funny and important little trope but um little little piece in there but then this page where he and his dad it's so interesting because it's i think it's a lot of marker and a lot of that eclectic color where when you're drawing in marker you feel like everything is clashing with everything but he like leans into that and so there's this almost electric feeling where even though we can't see his dad's face, it's sort of an outline of his dad, you know, um, there is a, there's so much emotion from yeah, It that speaks to of the those. vividness of that memory, you know? Yes. Yeah. It, I mean, the, the memory itself. Yeah. With technicolor and yes. or not even more than technicolor, super technicolor, you know, super yeah. vibrant. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a way of, using color i'm trying to think of a parallel and i and i don't know and it, and it, you kind of you kind of juxtapose that there's one page in there that's drawn it looks like just in pencil mm. of his dad in vietnam so something that yes. he did himself yes so it's like maybe one of the few like memories that aren't his specifically <laughs> and it's drawn in just really kind of messy pencil yeah. yeah uh you know as best as he could you know describe his dad's situation sitting in yeah. a in a rice paddy or in a in a jungle in sure. in uh Vietnam. Yeah. And I'd yeah. like to I'd like to say that Frank Santoro and I are kind of about the same age. He's a little, little bit older than me, but mm-hmm. his dad was in Vietnam the same time my father was in Vietnam and his oh, wow. fa- his his father of course uh you'll you come to find out mm. uh su- suffered a pretty tremendous tragedy in in Vietnam. Right. Right personally and then um and then with his whole platoon yeah he had sort of a uh, basically survivor's guild and ptsd yeah. yeah and that stuff really hit home as my father was kind of in the same situation hmm. you, you find out that this frank santoro's father frank santoro senior was yeah. his whole in, entire platoon was wiped out yeah my father was kind of in the same situation he was oh. he was um uh, shot and yeah. they medevaced his him out, him and another uh, fellow soldier. Yeah. And, and a couple of days later, he found out that his entire platoon was, yeah. was wiped out. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's again, it's it's speaking to the specific to talk about the generalities. And yeah. so, you know, I, I really connected with this work not only because uh, it you know it speaks to just divorced parents and yep. and that, but to a world that that I've certainly never had to experience in, in yeah. wartime yeah. dealing with dealing with a, a loved one with survivor's guilt and yeah. traumatic yeah. stress. Yeah. And yeah. he does it really, um, he does it really sentimentally without being like cloying or yeah. 
or modeling or anything like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It feels super real. Mm-hmm. Um, so pump the brakes on me if I'm, if I'm being too blunt here in thinking, in my thinking. Okay. Sure. So I'm wondering if, if, and, and I think what I'm doing here is probably drawing a line brightly where it's meant to be subtle. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> is there's something about that when I was thinking about his father, you know, surviving that survivor's guilt, as you mentioned. Um, and then it, that sets us up for having, I don't know, a kind of maybe understanding about this key thing that he's ruminating, which is my parents separating. Mm-hmm. And we come to find, and I think this is spoilers. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's a good book. Talk, talk, talk about spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Um, but come to find out that it's, it's, you know, um, it's the ways that his mother is dealing with the alcoholism in her family and sort of, you know, now the, the burden of keep up, of upholding her brothers mm-hmm. that um, Frank senior, that, that is his father is sort of like, I, I can't be around. Like I can't keep doing this. I can't stay with you as you know, you are running around and it, it you know, there could be a, a, a version of that tale where you're sort of like, what, you know, like how do you leave yeah. a woman who's trying to take care of her brothers who are all, right. you know, struggling with alcoholism, especially given the context of, you know, of, of Pittsburgh and, and where folks are at and how much people mm-hmm. need to be taking care of each other if they're sticking around. Um, but then to think of what I think that Vietnam context, you know, and, and that feeling of, of, uh, I don't know if it's like the survivor guilt or that sense of um, life being, it, it being too much to think of trying to hold everybody up or hold everybody together that makes it so that neither of them, mom or dad, right, can leave this world, including like leave the surroundings of each other. And yet they can't be together. You know, like, I don't know. I, I, th- I think part of me is trying to puzzle out and maybe this is the wrong approach to it. Like, why, you know, like, why is this, and, and why is this impossible tension for Frank, you know, exist yeah. um, in his family relationship? Certainly, I mean, um, you know, war has a way of changing people, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I think that, I guess, um, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure, uh, if we're getting the whole story, you know, Mm, uh, you know, that certainly it's only from Frank's Frank Jr.'s perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that, that Frank senior would ever tell, Mm. you know, Frank Jr. or anybody. And certainly my dad, it took a long time for him to tell me anything about the war. Right. So, you know, it could be the war. It could be just getting married young. My father yeah. married, you know, my father uh, married young too. Uh, mm-hmm. married another woman before my mom mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. didn't work out for yeah. maybe similar reasons of just yeah. being young, <laughs> uh, getting married before you go off to war was just the thing you did. Yeah. Um, so it, it could be a multiple, a multitude of things, yeah. but yeah, I definitely think that, um, not being not wanting that sort of responsibility after seeing mm. such uh 
tragedy hmm. and feeling that weight upon you. It, right. Yeah, I mean, you might want a way out. You know? Yeah. 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 And it feels like something, um, to give credit to the storytelling subtlety, <laughs> despite yeah. the bluntness of what I just said. It's like yeah. not the kind of thing where like, I'm guessing Frank senior, like, ran through it in his head as a as a narrative you know because you know because of this then that you know like oh, it's yeah. more just okay. sort of like survival you know or, or living making yeah. a living every day you know um well i think that's just natural for anybody nobody oh yeah. well we don't spend a lot of our time most of us pondering the whys of our decisions right. until right. after the fact like why did i do that right you don't not in the moment are you thinking why am i doing this sure sure you're just, a lot of times you're just reacting yeah. and you know, the forces that cause you re to react, you don't certainly, you don't always ponder. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can't even ponder. It's just all subconscious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think part of what makes this as a work of art so fascinating, you know, like yeah. I think about Santoro, I imagine Santoro in his studio or whatever drawing, you know, with marker on this mm -hmm you know bored the things of his memory or the things of his family and just how intimately that must have hit these nerves of of like okay this is who i am this is who my the people i love are this is who my godfather denny is you know you see in those last scenes again to kind of spoil a little bit you know sort of his last points yeah. of contact with that you know that uh, really important important person in his life and and then he says almost slipping it in there in 10 years, you know, neither Denny nor his mother who he's, he's living yeah. with and caring for will be still alive. Right. Yeah. And you just imagine uh, him drawing as a way of doing what you were just saying that you'd never step back and ask why. And mm -hmm. I think that the art as a way of asking why and of, of, of sort of setting your life in a setting again, you know, I, mm -hmm. I wonder how much of drawing Pittsburgh, not just the book, but the place is a way for him to sort of like plant these memories and these feelings and experiences in that place. And then to, to ponder or to, to wonder what is it about this place? You know, for me, it would be having to draw scenes of Taiwan where my, where my mother grew up and then yeah. thinking about the scenes in California with a world that's drastically different and just picturing drawing those mountains and those city streets and stuff like that and how much um, that is a way of like reconciling the world that made them this way and, and then what they were thinking and going through, asking the reasons why. It's such a, a beautiful uh, thing to be able to have done for them mm -hmm. to the memory of, to honor the memory of your parents. He said he mm. wanted it to be a love letter to his parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really feels like that. And not just his parents, but his, the, again, the city of Pittsburgh itself. Yeah. In its own way. Yeah. His grandparents. Uh, I think his, his grandmother, Mary, turns out to be one of the, you know, this, I, you can't call her a character, but right. the strongest characterizations in the book. Yeah, I mean, yeah. She's such a force, force of nature. I mean, she she really orchestrates the elopement of yes. uh, the parents and the living together. And, and she just, uh, it, it's as much a love letter to her as it is to the, you know, to, yeah. to parents. It's the beautiful work, you know, you, you, uh, when you pick up a book and you hear that's slightly autobiographical, yeah. you wonder if it's just going to be navel gazing, sure. you know, and, and it, this has none of that. 
Yeah. There's no pretentiousness. He's he's not in it uh, very much as a character himself. Right. Um, it it really focuses on on his on his parents. Yeah, a lot his, of it is uh, through his eyes. You can tell. Yeah. 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 Um, well, probably more that we could say. Is there anything else you want to get in on on Pittsburgh? Uh, no. If if we haven't spoiled too much for it for the <laughs> listeners already, I. I suggest they go out and, and pick it up. Uh, it is a book to be experienced with your eyes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just if you should happen to, I mean, you can't miss it in a shop. Hopefully mm. your the shops have it, uh, you know, not just on its spine, but just yeah. the cover. Yeah. It's a super evocative, yeah. um, you know, uh, front cover with a nice, uh, you know, two, three story homes. Yeah. Yeah. And on an old street in Pittsburgh, yeah. And just flip through it, and I promise you, you will rest your eyes on more than just a couple yeah. images. I mean, it's just it's wonderful to flip through, and and even better to uh, spend some time with. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. Um, I mentioned to you in a message that I also recently read um, a book by Sylvia. Um, oh no, Sylvia. <laughs> Nickerson, I think. Nickerson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Called Creation that that just came out from John and Quarterly, and um, and the reason it jumped to mind as a as a book that if you are interested in Pittsburgh, you should look at is that um, it's really it's also about a city. You know, she's from the Ontario area. I forgot the Hamilton, uh, and okay. I think it, it's a city. Do you, have you been there? Do you know? Do you know what Hamilton is? No, I think it's a suburb of Toronto, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, it seems to have a similar sort of like, like, like post-industrial, you mm. know, um, kind of economy and resultant culture as Pittsburgh. And it's, it's an interesting book because, you know, she is a artist. She's thinking about the kind of artist gentrification of sort of like lower income neighborhoods. And then being a mother, she's a, you know, a, a recent mother, like recently became a mother. And, and raising her kid really in this, in the city, but it, it's, and so every character in the book, similar to some of these moments that I was talking about here in Pittsburgh, it's just, she's actually the outline of characters. And, but a lot of scenes of the city are like drawn with some significant detail that I bet if you lived there, you'd recognize this buildings sure. in this in the streets. And so it's, I think it's a nice comparison in the sense of how, a city becomes a character, how the city becomes the character, you know, and how like as humans moving through it, it is still about human relationships and human worries and human concerns. Um, and there is sort of a narrative element, but a lot of it is just sort of like a contemplation of the city and the city being um, very alive and um, having its moods and emotions and, and memory yeah. it within it um, held within it too. It was a really fascinating book. And I think um, it's a great one to read kind of side by side with Pittsburgh. So oh, cool. encourage folks to pick that up or check that out if they have a chance. Awesome. To. Yeah. My good old library um, <laughs> has a lot of, has a lot of really good graphic novels, right? When they come out. Oh, so, sweet. Yeah. Um, Cool. Well, Johnny, you want to take a break and then we'll come back sure. yeah, and then um, talk more comics. Awesome. All right.
All right, so we're back, um, and this is kind of what's Johnny reading time. Johnny, <laughs> even though you're not like you're all the way on the other side of the country and stuff, not all the way on the other side, <laughs> part yeah, of the way I'm there. Both, pretty yeah. close. I, I won't lie. I go on Twitter sometimes just to see what Johnny Hall is up to <laughs> because you know you're sharing about like you know our first our shared frustrations about um, mm. you know the White House um, or whatever things going on in the world. Every- um, everything yeah. everything's going wrong it's the sports things um, yeah, oh yeah, but, yeah. but also you know you have been um engaging in a reread of something near and dear to your heart it's kind of fun watching you reread and sort of leave that um breadcrumbs the the, the etchings of your reaction yeah i mean i don't i don't consider myself a comic scholar or even a uh or a journalist at all or anything like that. But I thought it'd be a fun idea just to put my thoughts on some sort of, uh, record. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Even if it is uh, something as ethereal as, 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 uh, twitter.com. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to like, I wanted to do a reread of, of planetary, uh, which yeah. is a 1999, I think is when it started book. Yeah. sounds right. Uh, with Warren wild storm days. <laughs> Yeah, Wildstorm Days. Yeah, uh, a book that. I've Sorry, and I, I stepped. I stepped on you naming the creators. I apologize. No, uh, no, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. Warren Ellis was the writer. John Cassidy yeah. is is the uh, uh, primary artist. Though yeah. they have a couple one shots that were uh, by other artists. Yeah, uh, and then like Laura Martin uh, and Mike Barron are two of the color colorists, mm-hmm. and I think that book um, really benefits from their colors. So. Mm. I think it's smart to mention them. It's mm-hmm. part of the creative force. Yeah, but yeah. Sure. I just, I just wanted to get some thoughts down on paper, and I think uh, Planetary um, certainly meant a lot when it came out. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to see how I reconnected with the work if it yeah. still um, remained as potent. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some. I think you know it's twenty years on now yeah. since the issue. Yeah. So it was a fun experiment. I don't know if I'll do it for every book, but <laughs> I think that one warranted uh, the time and dedication. Yeah. So, so I have bu- a bunch of questions. Sure. And sure. one you already you already talked to, uh, you already spoke to a little bit, but like what prompted reading Planetary in particular? So 20 years on, right? It's, yeah. sort of, it's, a, it's a nice little touchstone for an era of ourselves and probably – personally meaningful to you at the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll tell you that that is exactly the time when I disappeared from comics for a minute. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. Um, 1999 is roughly, um, is college for me, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. And so I came, you know, I think I caught up with some graphic novels at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing at the time when I was just like checking back in with comics as a college student, late in my college years of like hearing about Warren Ellis and, and, um, and in some ways, it confirmed for me that comics were not for me at the moment. Um, I'll talk about planetary itself. Mm, a little bit. No, nah, I think just Warren Ellis. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I think Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis at that time confirmed for me why, for that moment, and what I was looking for. You know, like the best of what was out there in comics just wasn't actually what I was looking for. So mm. I read I read Planetary um, later, maybe ten years ago. Okay. Yeah. And could could appreciate it, like mm-hmm. liked it, you know, enough that yeah. I actually I have an absolute edition. I have a yeah, yeah. the omnibus. Um, I think I read it in trades, from the library kind of thing sure. first. 
Um, but uh, well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you liked it because I thought you were going somewhere else, and I thought we were going to have to. We were going to have a little art, a little spat. <laughs> no, I did. I really in I, call. <laughs> so what makes me curious is like why go, uh, go, go back to planetary in particular, and maybe like in this moment in your reading, you know, again, who who knows why are are wise? Well, I think uh, for the most part, comics were really bad at that point in time. Really bad. <laughs> I mean, it was, this is the late nineties. It, it was a hard most time. Comics were time. terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't want to. I guess I'm shooting myself in the foot by saying that i'm sure there were great comics out there most of the mainstream comics at that time felt yeah. terrible it was a low ebb <laughs> and so um i was in college at the time yeah and uh i hadn't really delved into like deconstructionist comics right. or anything like that um, I was still just swimming in a sea of just garbage. Yeah. I hadn't really dug deep on, yeah. on the stuff that I was reading and planetary was the first comic to kind of open my eyes to that, mm. to like what, um, what comics, uh, mean mm. to, um, pop culture in general. Yeah. And, uh, and as a society, why we even have a thing called a superhero, you know, what, yeah. what they, mm. what they represent. Mm -hmm. And planetary is a great um, dissection of that. Mm -hmm. And I don't even consider it deconstructionist. I like to call it reconstructionist comics. Yeah. I think it's more yeah. like, I don't think they're, they're trying to like um, pin anything down, uh, so to speak, or, yeah. uh, or, or make an encyclopedic uh, yeah. entry on what they are. Just what they, the, you know, the tagline of the series is, is, um, uh, uh, the world is strange. Let's keep it that way. And <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah. they, yeah, you know, the series uh, flourishes when it, when it doesn't say too much about the topic at hand. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, it was just something that kind of opened my eyes to the, the larger world of, of superhero comics. I yeah. read Watchmen after I read planetary. Interesting. Um, yeah. So uh, revisiting it, I just wanted to see if it had the same sort of, sort of power that the yeah. original read did. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's two, two of my other questions, which is how does it read now? You know, I think, you know, as something that is a watermark, you know, high watermark of that time period. And I think anticipates a lot of what's coming and also sets this sets the stage, I think for a lot of the um, subsequent superhero stuff, how did it read to you and, or did it give you spur any thoughts about how, how superior comics are now? Um, I really think um, what Warren Ellis did in that period mm -hmm. uh, is pretty groundbreaking as mm -hmm. far as superhero mm -hmm. comics go. Yeah. Um, I think you can see his influences to this day, especially in, in we may talk about it here in a little bit about, uh, Jonathan Hickman's House yeah. of X and Powers of X. I yeah. think Warren Ellis has a way of of getting to the core of what makes um, superhero conceits work. Yeah, and yeah. why we love them and yeah. why it's okay that they are corny or oddball <laughs> or uncanny. Um, yeah, um, he's not interested in um, making them grim and gritty. Right. Uh, he's he's more interested in just. Uh, letting them kind of sit there and yeah. while you inspect it, move around it. And, and uh, yeah. I, I really appreciate his, his 
stance on on superhero comics yeah yeah for sure and that think, that and authority i think are both pretty yes. um important comics uh for the you know leading up to to present day yeah superhero folks. yeah yeah i mean i i kind of want to encourage any superhero readers of today to go back if you haven't you know and look at ellis at that time and Morrison at that time and sort of like out of the ashes of the 90s, how, as you say, they reconstructed um, a, a, you know, almost a mission for superhero work, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was often like devilishly playful or it was like, oh, really, really, uh, but it cost also be really ambitious in its scope, you know, I mean, um, it just think about Morrison's super gods or whatever, you know, just like how there was a, a function that these kids who grew up reading comic books and superheroes found as in, in their adult making sense of the world, the moment that, mm-hmm. um, that these comics needed to, to, to fulfill, which, you know, if we read superhero stuff today, still, still does, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was just, uh, um, you know, every once in a while, as you get older, <laughs> you wonder why you even read superhero comics. Yeah, right. Well, you know, yes. what am I doing? Yes. These silly, silly books. Yes. When I walk out of the shop, how much, who am I concerned about right. seeing me carry this pile of right. action comics? Yeah. But I think it's important, and certainly Morrison and, and Ellis would back that up. It's important to play in the strange mm-hmm. and tackle the things that still we find uh, we have questions about. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the want to be something more, mm-hmm. that, that humanity still has another leap ahead mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. That, you know, sometimes we feel like we're staring down the barrel of a gun. Mm-hmm. as far as humanity is concerned mm-hmm. and the aspirational notes in, mm-hmm. in Warren Ellis's writings always really um, spoke to me, mm-hmm. you know, that, that yeah. humanity has more in store for us. Yeah. 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 That's, um, that's really good. That's really good. I, as you were talking, I was thinking to back to San Frank Santoro and uh, Pittsburgh and, and I know I mentioned this, but he has this whole thing where he wants, he uh, asks his dad to help him set up a tripod so they can yeah, yeah, record yeah. Spider-Man, right? Because mm-hmm. before you have like the VHS to, to record a TV show. Um, and that he, he re- you know, revisits that a few times in the book. And so in this story, that's very much about like, you know, life in the steel town and, 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 mm-hmm. and, uh, family and divorce and, and war trauma. There's this also like, as a kid, I just really needed to capture Spidey. You know? sure, and as an adult, I need to bring that back as like a kind of, um, a kind of prism to think about, I don't know, whatever it is, art and culture and how it like is, 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 is me as a kid in the world, making, making me in the world and, and being able to, to, that is that is my California at that time, you know. Like that is my yeah. seeing a big a bigger world beyond these walls right here, and um, so I think and I think planetary as I remember it, um, leaves you with the the thought that we are thinking about some, you know, we are also, we are happy to inhabit just a superhero world with, as you said, like the strange and the the twists and turns of the story. But meanwhile, we all have these things that we're 
cogitating and, and mm-hmm. um, coming to terms with that um, are playing out sort of Plato's cave, you know, um, <laughs> right. something's happening here as well. So um, nice. So another question, speaking sure. of uh, www.twitter.com, <laughs> you, um, you narrate over, a, how long was this reread? This is, well, yeah, I did all 27 issues and then they did, yeah. they did, or Warren did three specials, uh, yeah. each with a different artist. So r- roughly 30 issues that I, that I went through and, and it took, I don't know, uh, three months maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think. How do you think it, uh, changed your reading experience to, you know, to be this sort of like Twitter, uh, critic, you know, well, like again, as you read or to, or to t- touch, like, touch base with a, a place like that? Well, you know, uh, I, again, I'm not like a comic scholar or a comics journalist or anything. I really just wanted to get my own thoughts down on record. And that's like the easiest place for it. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to, um, you know, follow along or uh, join in the conversation, I was mm-hmm. more than happy to to have that. Um, mm-hmm. Because it was a book that, that I did have a lot of... Um, connection to and mm-hmm. and would be you know uh really uh happy to mm-hmm. interact with others about it mm-hmm. uh, even if we disagreed um mm-hmm. i just uh i just wanted to put it out there and it was it was a good experience it was fun yeah. like i said yeah. i don't know if i would do it for everything uh, yeah. that i read yeah. from now on or <laughs> any other rereads yeah but that one uh i had a lot to say about yeah. it and yeah. um and I just wanted to put it out there. So yeah, yeah. No, I I, I, I loved it. It was fun to see, to check in on, and I you know I couldn't issue by issue know exactly what you remember exactly what you were talking about every time. Sure, sure, but, sure. But the thoughts as they come out and your reactions as they came out, and and it did actually set off for me these distant memories of what what it was like to read that book, and so really fun to see you doing it out loud. And I think I just I kind of jumping on this because. Um, like one thing that intrigues me about comics is the way that it, it makes critics and commentators of us all, you know, as you said a few times, like, you're no, you're no Tom Spurgeon, neither am I, you know? Right, right. And I don't mean to um, diminish the, the sort of like distinctive and professional, whatever background of, of your Heidi McDonald or your, or your Tom Spurgeon or whatever. Sure. But I mean, one of the things I love about comics is its accessibility to fan community. You know, it's actually, you know, to, to pull in a, a, an analogy. Um, so I have, a, I have a PhD in education. Yet there's no one I tell that to who then goes, oh, let me not talk about my opinion about schools then. Everybody's like, oh, let me tell you everything I know about schools because <laughs> I know everything about schools, you know. Like right. my friend who's like a, a, a physicist, you know, MIT PhD in physics, right? He's like, he talks about physics and we all just kind of shut up. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm not going to like presume to say anything about quarks because I don't know a, a dang thing, you know. Right, right. Whereas like, um, oh, you work in schools? Hey, let me tell you like... <laughs> Let me tell you how it is with schools. Let me tell you how it is with teaching because it's something everybody kind of knows a, a piece about and enough of a piece that mm-hmm. um, they can opine and, and all that kind of stuff, you know? And, um, you know, of course, 
folks will sometimes go like, oh, well, you study schools and education. So t- answer, answer this, you know. Um, but um, they're always coming from a place of knowing something. And I actually really like being in that kind of a field, in that kind of a discipline, just because of how much it touches on people's lives and how much talking about my kids or my experience with teachers or whatever is something that we can all kind of access. Sure. And, and I think about that when, when we talk about the prospects of comics journalism, I mean, everything that I do for multiversity and so on, like it's a matter of how much, not how, how much I'm compensated. It's how, how little I lose. Like how much right. will it cost me to do this <laughs> thing that in another field people are paid for? You know what I mean? Um, but what brings us all in there and why maybe the barriers or entry are so low, which, you know, is regretful sometimes, but also what's wonderful about the community, you know, like any three fools standing around a comic shop, mm-hmm. a bunch of art in some senses, comics scholars and right intellectuals and it's 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 that thing about comics that sort of citizen expert you know that like oh yeah for sure everyday reader having a a bit of the scholar in them you know and the you know the reading experience the comic reading experience is so insular and Mm -hmm. and um you know it's so lonely (laughs) to, to to just sit and read a comic yeah uh that you want to uh you know, have that, that opinion and, yeah. and share it with the world. You want, yeah, you know, yeah. I've got to tell somebody about this thing that I've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the magic of comics, you know, yeah. the, 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 the insular becomes the shared, you know, sure. we all, we all want to share this thing that we just, and we've all got opinions about, you know, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I, what I love about what you did and makes me want to do similar things is to, um, you know, you used uh, tw- Twitter to force you to be concise and, and to like <laughs> for sure pick, yeah. pick the meatiest bit to um, have a take on. And then you had pictures. And I think those, you know, it's as, as close to, you know, sitting around with a buddy and, and like reading something together and going, oh, it, it made me want to. And I, I hope to carve out the time to reread Planetary and go through your tweet thread. Yeah, and- <laughs> I certainly didn't expect anybody to like follow along every issue or whatever and and wait with beta words i'm not that good of a writer number one and number two i'm probably not that insightful but that i thought i you know left enough crumbs to entice people to if not you know follow you know what i was doing maybe just mm-hmm. go pick up the work itself and yep. and rediscover it um you know there are certain planetary feeds on the influences yeah um yeah and uh, it wears it on wears those influences on its sleeve. I mean, something yeah. very overt. Yeah. And I think it's the the barrier of entry is very small. Yeah. You know, to get into those books. You know, Sherlock yeah. Holmes is a character. You yeah. know, it, it's it it just lives in this world of this pop culture century that we've yes. we've all experienced. So yes, and the Cassidy art was a, is and yeah, the Cassidy storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, super easy book for anybody to just if they happen to be looking at my feed, which is probably rare, <laughs> that they would they would say, oh well, you know, I know Sherlock Holmes or I know uh-huh. uh, that that definitely looks like a Superman analog or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, it was yeah. a fun experiment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, check it out, f- friends, <laughs> and do more of it, y'all, yourself, and uh, and you know, let me know. And I I, I think comic syllabus is like a classroom where your um our reading projects are welcomed and yeah yeah let's do it with each other 
Um, Johnny, you want to talk a little bit about some stuff you've been reading lately? Sure. Let's get into yeah. some like some you know new comics on the scene right now, and we're we're we are you know it's Jonathan Hickman's world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> And so it appears uh, that way. Yeah. We've exchanged a little bit of a uh, communication about Dawn of X and, um, you know, yeah. Hoxpox wrapped up your, your initial thoughts. I loved Hoxpox. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, it's bold yeah. and uh, comics needs to be bold every now and again. Yeah. It needs to be a little dangerous. And yeah, yeah. that's what they kind of presented the X-Men with, uh, mm-hmm. or to the, to the audience was, yeah. uh, uh a strange new world yeah. of, of, um, the status quo. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, for a long time, the X-Men have kind of been, you know, put to the wayside. They're mm-hmm. not a, they weren't a, a Marvel Disney property. So you could kind of right. tell that they were getting the, the cold shoulder, even though That's guys right. like Ben were on it. Sure. And, you know, they had strong creators occasionally, um, come in, um, I don't want to denigrate the whole, in the entire line or anything. Right. It just wasn't, you could just tell that it wasn't at the forefront of, of Marvel's yeah. branding. Right. And, uh, that, that changed with, with Hawksbox. You could tell yeah. that, that big things are planned. And, yeah. um, yeah, certainly the, the, um, they have the right guy yeah. behind it or one yeah. of the right guys. I certainly yeah. think that there are plenty of guys that probably give a good take on, on X-Men, mm. but Hickman certainly, um, knocked that first, 10 issue was it 10 or 12 12 12 yeah. issue, 12 yeah, issue six, run six, out of yeah. the park i thought it was a yeah. great intro yeah yeah i mean you know everybody's talking about it so everybody's kind of done the post-game analysis of why yeah i don't have i don't have why it hit so well i've already been heard yeah i'm sure <laughs> no, I'm just qualifying what i'm about to say is no mm-hmm. significant insight of my own but like for it to come out weekly right made oh, it felt great it made wednesdays feel like an event again you know absolutely um I think I think it was around maybe a third issue, maybe like um, what do you call it? House of X two came out the week that we were in Columbus for CXC. Okay. Yeah, and I want to say that like so like I just I I was Wednesday I was visiting my my family and yet I just really wanted to go to a shop. I like <laughs> had to go to a shop. I find it find a little yeah, yeah. shop and and uh you know brought my daughter to uh get some coffee and comics <laughs> and, nice. um, and so that that feeling again which i think for folks like, like you and me is a nice nostalgia of like wednesday being exciting was a nice yeah. thing to bring back um because especially after moira you just like something's gonna happen you know like and and it's been a long time since it's felt essential to the conversation to know about what a new release what happened in a new release what a new release exactly you know the way that like when you were watching game of thrones you you just were gonna like be bombarded by the twitterati um it definitely felt like event television for sure yeah um yeah you know hickman's writing has rarely been this strong Mm -hmm. i I don't Mm -hmm. you know he just he seems to know these characters uh and have a good voice for all of them Mm. and he wasn't you know to Marvel's editorial credit, they weren't afraid to let him play with the toys in yeah. very unexpected ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So mm. yeah, I, nothing but love for, for Hawks Fox. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I have been hot and cold on Hickman in the past. 
Um, even the things actually, and I say hot and cold, not about like, I liked this, but I didn't like that. Actually, I think everything that he's written, I've like at some point, like made my heart beat fast. And then at other points has made me like, Hmm, like to, I think East of West is probably the best self-contained example for me, you know? Uh And like, so sometimes I'm like, wow, this is so bold. And I mean, I think that's one thing you can say for any of his work is like, he's just yeah. audacious, you know, he's just like, yeah, very, he's, he's going to shoot for, for the moon in terms of, you know, I think of like a lot of X-Men comics like Claremont and, and, and um, it feels like anthropology. It's like, I'm going to study a culture up close of like <laughs> a certain peoples, i.e. these new mutant peoples. And Hickman feels like a political scientist. He's like, <laughs> let's, let's just install these, you know, gigantic um, tectonic shifting, stakes right from the I'm mixing metaphors there but like right from the outset right I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. just like and and even if it and I think this is some of the complaint about it even if it like forces all um at, you know all the magnets to align in a certain direction we are gonna do this you know it's gonna be this big like Mr. Fantastic is gonna be this big or mm-hmm. um you know in this case like Xavier is gonna be so you know, Krakow is going to be so big and every arrow is going to orient in this direction. And, um, and I, but I think um, it, he'll still write these moments. And I felt like this was true of East of West. So, so how I felt about East of West was it's so exciting to be, to be reading something this audacious and then to have it presented with such subtlety. Like, you know, he presents this new reality in these tiny like scenes that are really Mm -hmm. craft, craftily written you know there's a lot of wit in them the characters are sure you know you have to sort of like it's good for us nerdy readers who like to like not have things spoon fed to us but you know like they're sort of like dished out in these like weird two-page essays and like like these moments these scenes where characters are being really acerbic in their in their like dialogue but um but but represents some bigger thing that's going on um so I, i but then you step back and you've done this work of understanding what he's saying about the world. And I'm thinking of East of West actually first. And then I go, what he's essentially saying is that our divisions and our differences will become this, um, you know, irreconcilable wall. Um, That's what China is, you know, (laughs) that's what um, like indigenous peoples are, et cetera. And so he's commenting about the divides between us and that hits us because we feel those divides. But I think that's one part of us. And then I start to question, like, I start to question the politics of his political science. You know, it's sort of like he's orchestrated these chess pieces for something that is really epic and powerful for us to think about. Like he said, like we were talking about, it's kind of like the world, um, seeing the world through these panels. And then, but I'm like, Hmm, but what is he saying about that world? And how, how do I feel about that? And I don't think he's being simple, simple about it, but I, I, no. I just, I just have to pause and go, okay, this rendition of the world and the way that it's making me feel about the world. How do I feel about that? Well, I mean, I would imagine that you would feel nonplussed. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I, uh, I think he's, I mean, Hickman's work seems very nihilistic. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't, I maybe nihilistic is a little too strong, but, but it's I leaning that way. It's definitely leaning that way. I mean, yeah. certainly, I mean, I mean, East to West is about the apocalypse. So I mean, sure. then, <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, in all of his, he has a very um, pessimistic view of, 
of humanity. Yeah. Um, and I think that feeds on our worst kind of worst fears about humanity. Like yep. we are certainly I, I love his work and I am intrigued by that, that viewpoint. And sometimes in my darkest, you know, thoughts, I feel yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is us. This is yes. us writ bare, you know, yes. stripped bare of, of any like pretensions about, yep. you know, like, uh, human achievement or yep. anything like that. It's, this is, this is how, you know, it really feels like, sure. We may create all these societies, but really at the end of the day, we're just like struggling, like animals, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the last scrap of meat. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that even bleeds into the X-Men comics. I think there is a bit of nihilism yeah. in this, like the X-Men are finally, you know, taking what is they believe is theirs by yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, you can't disagree with, with their viewpoints. Right. Uh, but the way they set, you know, the way he set it up, you feel like, you know, bad things are, are coming down the pike. I yeah. mean, it's, there's a, there's a real sense of fear to, yeah. you know, the, like you, you put all of these, I mean, you, you literally put the most powerful beings in the world, yeah. good and bad. Yeah in a pot it's going to boil over a a krakoan pot (laughs) yeah uh you know those 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 uh lines that those um uh, governments that are formed in east and west are no longer there in x-men they you know magneto is working with apocalypse he's working with xavier he's working with krakoa you know and then and then the outside world do they just sit there? Right. You know, of course they're right. not going to sit there. Of course right. they're going to be weak. Sure. They may like the life-saving drugs, but right. you know, as we've learned from, you know, or as it's becoming more clear, it, you know, the people who are in power do not want to give up power. Right. 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 So they're not going to give it up without a fight, you yeah. know? And, and, and I think that's what Hickman's saying. And yeah, in a lot of his books, yeah, uh, that, yeah. that this, these the people in power uh plan to keep that power yeah yeah and it's so cleverly done you just have to love it i mean yeah you know i I don't mean to (laughs) dark and i don't mean to say i actually at the end of the day i still um appreciate and i think ultimately agree with many of the things that he's saying as one note of truth within a you know a sort of full symphony of of yeah like what you said yeah yeah, I think, I think and, it's a little it's a little more complex, but yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. it still rings true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I think the note that needs to be sounded, you know, and the note that I like our fiction to 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 sound, and so you have to applaud the audacity, you have to applaud the boldness, you have to love, you don't have to do anything, but like like right. you are compelled to. I am compelled to love the craft of you know, you know, like when you step, I, I, I think I was explaining to a non-comics person why this was so good. I was trying to explain mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, he did this with Moira. And I realized as it was coming <laughs> out of my mouth that it was like, this is ridiculous. Like this sounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, this sounds no different than any ridiculous. Super, but, um, but then I realized, okay, well that's because of, that's how, that shows how artfully it's told. Yeah. Because, you know, as plot summary, it's just further superhero ludicrous you know x-men <laughs> happenings as uh, as story being told and that you're experiencing um it was just pretty like cool to you know. yeah and i love the way that the two series felt different yeah. and yet lapped in in you know theme yes but 
you know, the, the powers of X or yeah, the powers of X that, yeah. that did the time yep. jumping. Yeah. I love that series. That's yeah. the, you know, the, the far distant future that's beyond humanity, yeah. beyond our sense of morality and, yeah. and, and it's just really fun science fiction, real like Jack Fancy and, you know, just yeah. crazy future worlds where humanity is not unrecognizable yeah and mutantum is unrecognizable we are all you know food for the machine yeah <laughs> it's right. again dark but in a like a, a almost amoralistic way i mean yeah. there's no, no like uh you know more you know morals to it really yeah so. yeah well it's neat it's nietzschean you know and i think yeah, yeah. I, I think he had a nietzsche quote in there somewhere but yeah, I mean, it's these Hickmanisms. And I think what I'm curious about is, you know, you've been reading all the Dawn of X books since then, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I thought sometimes like I, I applaud and love the, the, pardon my French, the balls on this guy, you know, to, to, <laughs> to do these things. And then sometimes I'm just like, man, the, the balls on this guy, because he, he, he essentially, I mean, like with Secret Wars, for instance, I was like, wow, they're really giving this guy the keys to the mm-hmm. multiverse and yeah. everybody else has to write in its wake. You know, like yeah. it's so big that for better or for worse, now we all have to write these little secret wars books, you know, and I, I have to take Miss Marvel who I've been telling this interesting, unique yeah. little story about and suddenly fit her within like whatever battle world, whatever it was, you know, and it was, and so it's, it's both what's um, wonderfully like um, brash about superhero comic storytelling as we were talking about with planetary. And I think there's a, um, it, he has to write this super, like this monomyth, this like super narrative that then everybody has to then write within which corporate, co- you know, is also what we hate about corporate comics. And so I, 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 lo- I love that they took this corner. I mean, it's a big corner. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. an important corner of the Marvel universe and gave him the keys and allowed him to sort of be as as audacious and, and, and shift things as boldly. But now we have like a Marauders and an X-Force and a, and a, all these other books that now in, in the wake of how he's rewritten things, it's all characters in some way reacting or coping or dealing with yeah. the new realities of, you know, whatever, Krakoa and portals and go and make babies or whatever. Right, right. So, <laughs> um, so I guess I, what I'm saying is like, um, I love it. I, 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 I sometimes go, I wish they would allow other storytellers and maybe and Hickman hasn't sort of run out of steam yet. It's still awesome. Like let's, let's keep letting Hickman do it. But I just wish like other voices could be the ones to craft the meta narrative that everybody else has to, has to live within. Um, and how much, how does what Hickman established make for viable storytelling and when i'm reading fallen angels or when i'm hearing people like trash you know um something about excalibur i'm always like well how much of this is a writer writing within what hickman's doing but not being hickman yeah i mean i well i think you know hickman being the creative you know leader of this project he probably handpicked the writers themselves Mm -hmm. they probably know what they're getting into sure you know it's the writer's one and two and three years down the line that have to mm. deal with the repercussions of all this. And I think we'll really see like the fallout of, of what you might be saying, like how viable these stories are for the future. Yeah. And right now I trust Hickman to, yeah. to steer the ship correctly. I haven't really enjoyed 
um, a ton of the Dawn of X stuff. Huh. It's huh. been hit and miss. I don't yeah. want like the details just because this isn't that kind of show. You know, I don't want to. <laughs> I mean, some of the ideas I really like, but I think that when you have such a a strong voice, hmm. it's hard to replicate that, and it's hard yeah. to play in that world, and certainly at that level, it's like. Yeah. It's like when Quentin Tarantino made Pulp Fiction. Right. A hundred other directors went and made Pulp Fiction. Right. And none of them none did of them Pulp, are Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Right. <laughs> so right. now you have, you know, like you say, the, these writers are in there. They have yeah. to play in the Hickman verse. Right. Are they Jonathan Hickman or are right. they sad facsimiles? You know, you, right. you look at some, I don't want to say sad facsimiles. That's a little too rough. But sure. you look at some of the, like the, you know, Hickman does like the notation sheets. Yeah. You know, like the, the yep. graphs and stuff. Yep, 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 yep. The you know, the <laughs> diagrams. Right. The other books have carried that through. Yeah. None of them have done Hickman. Yeah. You, I mean it's yeah. it's off. You could yeah. it's some of them are fun and some of yeah. them are, are decently written, but they're yeah. not Hickman. And so yeah. it it, lo- it loses the, the, the luster, it loses yep. that that uh, shine that, that yeah. Hickman can put on it. Yeah. He knows exactly what to say in those things and how much to give away. Yeah. And the other ones haven't gotten there yet. Maybe they yeah. will down the line. Yeah. You know, some of the writers are really promising. Yeah. I'm a little disappointed by the the art. I think it's a little mm. samey. Uh, you know. Um, I kinda wanted to talk about Doom Patrol. You know, we don't yeah. have to go into it too far. Let's do it. Patrol, Doom Patrol's, you know, a miniseries, uh, you know, I think six issues in. Yeah. They've had James Harvey, Nick Patara. Right. Doc Shaner, Becky Cloonan. Right. They have all these like just a murderer's row of great artists. Yeah. On a book that nobody's, well, I don't want to say nobody, but it, <laughs> the sales on it aren't X-Men sales. Sure. The X-Men could be doing so much more with these books right. um, as far as like art goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That you could play in that universe and still be creative. Yeah. And I just, I don't think they're going as far as they could. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. I mean, to try to um, carry over from the writing into the art, you know, like Hickman, like killed it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, R.B. Silva and Pepe Larraz absolutely killed it, right? Yeah, absolutely. But how much does killing it there open up a space for, you know, Teeny Howard and and Dugan and so on? And likewise for... Like, did you create a world that others can draw their eccentric selves with into that, like, right. say, a Becky Cloonan or a Doc Shaner could draw their way into? And I think the the jury is mixed, right? The results are mixed. I mean, yeah, yeah, brought- yeah. And I, I, it seems it feels like I'm coming down hard on like the new creative teams, and I don't. Mm-hmm. They're all the books are all fine. Yeah. You know, they're all like, you know fine books that in a otherwise if it wasn't tied to this event i don't know that i would be picking up but yeah yeah you know that they could i think they could be a more more ambitious yeah with as ambitious as house of x and powers of x was yeah i feel like they could have been a little more ambitious with the art and the sure. you know there are no bill sinkeviches on the new mutants book right you know there's um you, they could have went there they didn't yep and the new artist is fine Sure. You know, I don't want to. Sure. Uh, I matter of fact, if I'm being honest, New Mutants is probably one of my favorites of the Dawn of X. That's books. right. Yeah, Rod Rice but, is, is great art. There's some Sinkevich nods, but it's not Sinkevich, as you said. Yeah, it's not Sinkevich. <laughs> right. It's not as bold as Sinkevich. Yeah. And maybe yeah. a Marvel isn't willing to do what what the editorial staff at DC is doing and just huh. kind of be bold with those art choices. But yeah. I think they should. 
Yeah. It, yeah. I think huh. you have that kind of leverage and when you have that leverage, you should use it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. And interesting to see, you know, there's a, there's always like good artists in either of the big two, but sure. just sometimes there's just like a, the, the balance has tipped one side or the other mm-hmm. as far as like who, at least for me. And, but I feel like me and also what I hear from the broader audience. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I think the, the shift is, is moved over to the DC, yeah. the DC crew at this point. And That's again, yeah. I hate saying, you know, bad things about, comics hardworking comics that have sure. made it to big two yeah you know that's yeah. they're all amazing incredible yeah, they're all, yeah. yeah you know uh but um you know you talk about the the house style of of the bad books of like mm-hmm. the new 52 era and it all looked samey right it all looked like greg, greg uh capullo and yeah. and knockoffs thereof yeah yeah or finchy and david finch yes. Uh, yes books uh and i feel that way like Marvel and certainly the mm. Xbooks, they feel a little samey, mm. and I think that they could they could be a little more ambitious. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. What um, you brought up Doom Patrol? Yeah, and uh, I think that's a really interesting comparison. I mean, no comparison in terms of sales, <laughs> right? <laughs> but right. but just in terms of like audacity and even like a sort of like seat of the pants, you know. Craziness, and we're talking about Doom Patrol, uh, Way of the World. Is that the name of the, Way to the world, miniseries yeah. going on right now? Which, um, yeah. you know, Gerard Way and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's a very deliberate reference, you know, as as Doom Patrol and, and X Men's histories are are tied together forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think what it, you know, just as ambitious as as Hickman mm. is, you mm. know, mm. Gerard Way is doing his best. Grant Morrison, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't help but see the riff on. Yes. But, it, you know, Doom Patrol warrants a weird book and it warrants guys like James Harvey coming on and just being weird. Yeah. And Nick Patara coming on and just doing some crazy body horror, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, silliness. And Becky Cloonan coming on and, and bringing her gifts to the table. Yeah. It's, it's comics like Doom Patrol that make you realize the power of, of superhero comics mm. and what they can do when sci-fi really wants to get weird. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And I think that it's an interesting contrast because one is doing that in its own sandbox oh, and yeah. then, and really allowed to be just wonderfully weird. And I think, you know, like even like planetary, you had crossovers, but essentially it was like, we have to sort of draw, we have to make our own world to do things this big in its own kind of, sector of the universe or whatever meanwhile you know hickman's encompassing there's something colonizing about his, his yeah vision, i mean there's a, there's a giant pair of mouse ears on every yeah. <laughs> right you should just put that as like a watermark in the back you know future or, movie yeah right? like i don't want to i don't want to try and pretend that hickman's gonna go reinvent the wheel and just go bonkers with it yeah. and uh, I mean, it was pretty bonkers, you know. It was yeah. it was a it was a roller coaster ride, yeah, and superhero yeah. comics are supposed to be roller coaster rides. Yeah. Um, but you know, they can also be so much more. And yeah. if there is a corner for a Doom Patrol esque book in the the Hickman verse, I am yeah. all for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mentioning that, I, I want to join you in like giving due props. You know, when we c- critique Big Two Comics, 
um, I think it's, you know, artists and writers where it's like critiquing NBA players. Like, let's be real. You know, you're all in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> right. You yeah. would, you would just d- you would kill don't. any of us on the court. <laughs> right. right? So, so when we make fun of you, you know, Willie Cauley Stein, it's uh, with that in mind. Um, but again, you know, we, you know, like I mentioned at the, the head of the podcast, we got to be honest yep. and a little unmerciful. That's, that's and right. Disney can afford uh, us being a little unmerciful <laughs> with our opinions. That's right. You know, so long as they're from a place of love uh, yeah. and respect for the creators that are behind yes. it and knowing yes. that they're, they've got their own editorial needs and concerns. So. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And with that in mind, I think I, I still, uh, you know, I go, what seems to be working the most out of these Don of X books? And for me, it's, uh, you know, unsurprisingly X-Men and New Mutants where Hickman is continuing to have his fingerprints. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I like Teeny Howard you know, how much do I feel like she's, you know, they're, they're in a box of this particular story in this world. Um, and you're right. Like we, it's not probably fair to render judgment yet, you know? Yeah. We, it's one issue. And, um, yeah. yeah, I, I think, uh, Francis, you yeah. is an artist that I liked, you know, um, back in the X-Men or the Avengers days. Right. And he's done right. other stuff, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh, I would have seen, I would have liked to have seen a different artist on, mm. on X-Men, but otherwise mm. I think the X book is great. Um, yeah. And I think you is a great artist. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. 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 Um, but fit. Right. But like the, the tone yeah. particular, the yeah. story. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I would, I would have to say X-Men is still the strongest of the, of the bunch. And just because yeah. it's his vision, you can tell that he's implementing his vision and the rest are just trying to find their footing. Yeah. You know, how do we, and that may, that may be a while. And some of these concepts that may have sounded good on paper may not work out. Right. Um, you know, that's, that's the fun of comics is, right. You know, you, next month it might just be something totally different. That's you right. know? <laughs> take a different shot at it. Yeah. I, I do like that this is happening because, you know, I, I said that they were a corner of the Marvel universe. I think they're a really significant corner, you know, like X, X-Men has such a unique and important history in being that frontier of the strange for um, Marvel comics, obviously so important to the culture at large um, that when X-Men, you know, like, I mean, it's like the Knicks or whatever. It's like the Lakers, like you may hate them, but even if you hate them, it's good for the league. Yeah. It's good for the league. Yeah. Yeah. If they're winning championships, it's good for the league. So when the X-Men's strong, you know, the Marvel is, is doing strong. And, and I, I really believe that. And I believe that um, the X-Men, you know, rival only by maybe Spider-Man tell like the most, important stories of the marvel universe you know they have the the most things to say yeah yeah so it's important that those books thrive yeah yeah johnny thank you for hanging out with me yeah (laughs) for this whole lot going from pittsburgh to krakoa yeah yeah, well (laughs) long commute but worth it (laughs) it's been a blast man um uh, and, uh, you know, folks, I don't know, Johnny, do you want folks to find you on Twitter? We've been talking yeah, so I mean, much you about just, your Twitter I mean, feed. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You can put my name in the comment or in the, but it's Johnny Hall three, the number three. There you go. There you go. There if you, you want to hear my rants. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, the, and, uh, you also here on the comic syllabus. Sure. You'll, you'll be here again with me. 
for sure. I'll try, I'll try to be as positive as possible on the comic syllabus. So I'll be on my best behavior. <laughs> you don't have to. It's all right. <laughs> Bring a little bit of spice in honor of Tom's burger. Word trash. <laughs> we'll wait till next year. We're just storing it up. <laughs> there We're you just go. storing it up. Yeah. All right. So fun, Johnny. Thanks so much. Yep. Yep. Thanks for having me.